and welcome to Legendary Record Breaking. They never thought we'd do it, but here we are, episode 133 of the world-renowned tennis podcast. My name is Nick. I'm your host. I'm your sidekick host, Brandon. Brandon, what's the show about? The show is about one of us each week brings a top 10 list. It doesn't have to be 10. It could be 8. could be 15. And the other one doesn't know what that list is, and they try to guess it live on air along with you, the viewer at home. The listener mm-hmm. at home. We're live right now. I brought today's list. It's going to be a list Brandon likes. Before we get there, Brandon, we bring up a lot of um, listeners of the show, celebrity listeners of the mm-hmm. show, right? Over the course of this last 133 episodes. It's hard to find a celebrity that isn't a listener of the show. Right. It's crazy. Can you think of a celebrity that we talk about all the time, but we have yet to dedicate an episode to? Hmm... Arnold? No, we've done an episode on Arnold. We done Arnold. Who have we talked about? So we did Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. episode forty-two. We did Adam Sandler. Some might say a superior actor to Jack Nicholson. Back on episode fifty-four, we did Arnold on episode seventy-five. We did Jim Carrey on ninety-six. Sammy L. Jackson on ninety-nine. Oh, is this Tom Cruise? No, no, that was, that's the next one I'm going to do. Oh. But this is uh, another bro that you like a lot against your better judgment. Oh, Ben Affleck? No. Okay, this is, this is getting... I'm just going to tell you, it's oh, Mel Gibson. Oh, my heart throbs. <laughs> oh, Mel Gibson, he's another one of my heart throbs. Yes. If they made a teen bop for me, it would just be pictures of middle-aged men <laughs> who've had problems like run-ins <laughs> with the law and messy divorces. <laughs> I think Mel Gibson. Well, when when does middle age end? Uh, when are you in advanced, advanced age? Advanced like, I guess middle aged men. Sixty. I think middle aged ends at like fifty nine. Is is like the last year of being middle aged? I think. Well, I'm pretty sure. Well, wait a minute. Fifty six. Yeah. So this uh, Mel Gibson is no longer middle aged. Middle aged or elderly. Yeah. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, <laughs> a lot of alcoholic men in my. <laughs> In my Teen Bot magazine. Severe raging alcoholism will be a theme of today's episode. We are covering listener of the show, Tennis Pod Patreon member, and one of Brandon's advanced age heartthrobs, Melvin Gibson. His name's not actually Melvin. His name is actually yeah, Mel. Mel. Like that's his legal first name. So, mm-hmm. so we're going to look at his top 10 highest grossing films of all time. And before you ask, I'll tell you, these are adjusted for 2021 inflation. Uh, but it's domestic box office only. So, United States box office adjusted for inflation, the top 10. These are the films he has starred in. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, starred or co-starred, yeah. Okay. Not directed. No, but I do have a bonus okay. that we will cover that he did direct. Right. Uh, and throughout, I'm also going to be giving you some hashtag fun facts with Mel Gibson and my oh my, was there a treasure trove of material to dive into with oh, Mr. Gibson. You know, this is just what I needed tonight. A jolt of Mel. Yeah, I'm sure a few people in the past have both said and not said that. Or they've said they wanted it and they've said they've had enough of it. Mm-hmm. We're going to cover both sides. I got a lot to cover. Got real beefy notes tonight. Mel Columcile, Columcil, Gerard Gibson. Uh, born January 3rd, 1956. He's an American actor, film director, producer, and screenwriter. He was actually born in Peekskill, New York, but he moved with his parents to Sydney, Australia when he was 12. Do you know why they moved to Australia? Uh, I would assume for his father's job. I didn't know. I thought he lived in Australia, Australia his entire life. That, I'm, 
might explain why why he like doesn't have an seems, accent. Yeah, but yeah, maybe so. Or does he? I guess I, does he have an accent in interviews and stuff? Not much of one. I think it lessens over time. Yeah. Well, his father was actually awarded $145,000 in a work-related injury lawsuit against the New York Central Railroad on Valentine's Day 1968, and they relocated to Sydney when uh, Mel was 12. With all this settlement money? Yeah. Oh. There was a note. I didn't keep it just because I had to cut some shit, but uh-huh. I, I recall seeing a note that Mel's father didn't want his oldest son, not Mel, but his oldest son to be drafted into the Vietnam War. Holy shit. He and he thought... Ran really far away. Yeah. Well, if you're going to run anywhere, yeah, Sydney, Australia, there's worse places to run. If you want to know those worst places to run, then don't listen to our Happiest Countries episode. A few more quick notes and then I'll let you start guessing. He studied acting at the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Australia, where he starred opposite Judy Davis in Romeo and Juliet. Um, and a broad high-level note here. He's had several legal issues in his life and controversial statements. Oh, yeah. His public images has <laughs> plummeted significantly in recent years, affecting his career in acting and directing. But he's on a bit of a mild comeback lately, which I'll get to later. So, Branham, with this stage set, tell me, first give us like your 30-second overview of your thoughts of Mel Gibson. I was first introduced to Mel Gibson on Pornhub? HBO oh. at age... I don't know, maybe six or seven, in the movie Lethal Weapon. Yes. It seemed like it must have just come out all the time, like middle of the day for years, because I had the movie memorized. Uh, so when I was a kid, I used to play like Lethal Weapon outside. I used to like, make one of the kids across the street be Roger Murtaugh so that I could, nerd. I could wear my boots and pretend to be uh, Martin Riggs, the Lethal Weapon. So you were Mel Gibson's character. Yeah. Of course. Anyway, yeah. Like everyone else in the, especially in the 90s, I watched a lot of Mel Gibson movies. Mm -hmm. And then he went a little sideways. (laughs) I'm sure we're going to, are we going to talk about any of that? Yeah, you can save it. But yes, we're going to get into some of that. He got into some... Some hijinks, some tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. Tarnished his name. I think he tarnished his, like, he definitely hurt his career in addition to, like, hurting people. <laughs> Destroying lives, yes. <laughs> but, but we love him anyway. Yeah. And we appreciate him listening right now. Uh, I forgot to mention my sources. We're looking at Box Office Mojo, thenumbers.com, IMDb, Global. What is this site? Globenkingrates.com. So again, you're guessing the movies that most people paid money to see in the United States adjusted for inflation. What's your first guess? My first guess is one that I'm not confident about, but I do want to see if it makes the top 10. Maverick. It is in the top 10. Is it number eight? Brayden? What? Hey man, I know my Mel. <laughs> no. Like the back of my hand. But to nail the number eight? <laughs> it was a guess. I was almost about to guess number 10. Is it number eight? Are you eight? in my house right now and I just don't know it? Are you in the room with me now? Be honest. Mm-mm. And you're looking over my shoulder. Mm-mm. Okay. This is weird. Maverick is number eight. It was released in the year of our Lord, 1994, and its adjusted box office in the US only is $182 million. 
You've seen Maverick? I think I saw it in the theater. I've never seen it. Maverick was a movie remake of a TV show. And in the TV show, yeah. Maverick was played by James Garner. And in the movie, James Garner plays his dad, who also seems like he was Maverick back in the day. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, you're right. It's based on the TV series of the same name from 1957 and 62. It's an American Western comedy starring Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster, James Garner. It's about Mel Gibson as Brett Maverick, a card player and con artist who collects money in order to enter a high-stakes poker game. I wonder if this is when we should reveal that this entire show is also run by con artists looking to collect money so we can enter a high-stakes poker game. Wasn't the high-stakes poker game run by uh, James Coburn? It's like one, I think it was his last movie. You'd have to tell me because I have no idea who that is, do you? I haven't seen it. James Coburn. Of course I know who that is. From The Great Escape and The Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love James Coburn. Uh, so, Maverick is nominated for an Academy Award for Best Costume Design. And it, I thought this was cool. It has a ton of cameos from various celebrities, including country singers. Charlene Carter plays a waitress. Waylon Jennings and Kathy Mattia are a gambling couple. Reba McIntyre is in the movie too. And Clint Black is a, quote, sweet-faced gambler thrown overboard for cheating. He does have those big dimples. <laughs> Clint Black also had, like, a, a, a hit country song that was featured in the movie, too. Clint Black. Can't tell you anything about his music, but I can tell you one hell of an ass. I'm looking at him right now. Sweet face and, a, and an ass to match. And uh, last note is a critic review. The Rotten Tomatoes gives the movie 66% thumbs up. Mm -hmm. And the site's consensus states it isn't terribly deep, but it's witty and undeniably charming, and the cast is <laughs> obviously having fun. Well, isn't that what it's all about? It's what it's all about, getting tens of millions of dollars and having fun doing it. <laughs> Making sure that you get to have fun on top of it. Hey, that's us right now. Yeah. Having fun with millions of dollars. You know who else is having fun with millions of dollars? Mel Gibson, who owns an island in Fiji. He bought it for $9 million in 2005, which to me, I thought that actually sounds kind of cheap. <laughs> it's only $9 million. That does sound pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. Give me another guess. How about Ransom? Is that in the top 10? It is. Do you want to peek over my shoulder and tell me the exact number again like you did before? I'm going to guess that it's number nine. Ha! Gotcha. It's number six. Oh. Man, Ransom did pretty well. Yep, number six. Adjusted for inflation into 2021 dollars, it came to $230 million when it was released in 1996. Have you seen Ransom? Because I have not. I did. I uh, haven't seen it. since. I mean, it's been more than 20 years since I saw Ransom. But mm -hmm. it was good. I remember it's... I do think he would like it. It's a pretty compelling movie. I mean, are you going to tell us like the premise for the movie? Yeah. Tell him the premise. It's an American thriller film directed by Ron Howard. Uh, multi-millionaire Tom Mullen, which is played by Mel Gibson, his son is kidnapped. But after initially agreeing to pay the ransom, Mullen then decides to use the ransom money as a bounty. Huh, that is interesting. Yeah, there is a great scene where he... <laughs> I mean, in real life, this would probably get your child killed. But <laughs> there's a great scene where he's on TV and he's like, instead, I'm going to use this money to come... He's, he just turns it around on him, like cold-hearted, tells him, like, I'm going to fucking get you. 
And then in the trailer, I know the like a big scene that's remembered as him like screaming into the phone, give me back my son. <laughs> that sounds like the screaming he does on the phone later in life, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You love your Mel Gibson screaming. <laughs> you got it down pretty He's well. He's so intense. <laughs> He he does have a very, like, stern father presence about him, doesn't he? To where, like, if he were to say your full name, you know, Brandon whatever Kaufman, it would, like, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, right? It's like, <laughs> you don't want him saying your full name as a kid. <laughs> it would, uh, well, like I said, he's on the front of my, my heartthrob magazine of all the hairs on my body would stand up. Oh, baby. Look out. Well, I know you already know this. He was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for Ransom. Uh-huh. And the movie has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes. The consensus reads, it's directed with propulsive intensity by Ron Howard. Yeah. And it's a fiery I, thriller. Sorry? I was going to say, like, I, I remember it being intense. It's a good movie. I, did, I forgot that it was a Ron Howard movie, but mm-hmm. yeah, you'd like it. They say it's a fiery thriller packed with hot-blooded performances and jolting twists. And to that, I say, what are the odds that at the beginning of this show today, you mentioned the word jolt? Jolt. Yeah. Well. And now here it comes back. That's uh, when you see Mel, you get a jolt. Speaking of getting a jolt, his uh, wife of many years, Robin Moore, mm-hmm. who he married in 1980, she got a few jolts along the way. The couple had seven children. And to that, I say, why? Don't do that. Too many she kids. She got some big jolts from Mel. Yep. Gibson's divorce was finalized in December 2011, and the settlement with his ex-wife was said to be the highest in Hollywood history at over $400 million that he handed over. Yikes. Isn't that amazing? You marry Mel Gibson, and all you have to do is exist, and then when you divorce him, you get $400 million. So if that was half of his stuff, he had almost a billion dollars? Yep. But in a 2011 interview, Mel Gibson stated that the separation began the day following his arrest for drunk driving in Malibu, which put a pin in that. We're going to get back to that. When, so, what year, when was that? That was in the, what, early 2000s? 2006. Yeah, 2006. 06. So they separated, but they didn't actually legally divorce until 2011. Wow. So it wasn't long after they separated that Mel Gibson began a relationship with Russian pianist... <sighs> Oksana Grigoryva, who gave birth to Gibson's daughter in 2009. Mel Gibson has nine kids now, at last count. Yeah. Didn't last long, though, because they split in 2010. And this is the woman, uh, Oksana Grigoryva, Grigoryva, whatever. She's the one who accused Mel Gibson of all kinds of shit. I'll let you do some Mel Gibson impersonations momentarily. (laughs) But she accused him of domestic violence, leading to an investigation by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department in 2010. And in July 2010, some audio recordings of a rant allegedly directed by Gibson toward Oksana were posted on the internet. That same day, Gibson's uh, talent agency dropped him, so he was kind of canceled there for a little bit. Oh, he got burned hard. Yeah, immediately. Uh, Years of career trouble at this point. His estranged wife, Robin, the one we just talked about who divorced and got all the money, she filed a court statement. Mm-hmm. declaring that she never experienced any abuse from Mel Gibson. And forensic experts have also questioned the validity of some of the tapes. But Gibson himself did not deny that they were accurate at time. Yeah. 
So tell us, tell the folks at home a little more about this because I know you, okay. you were aware of it at the time. Yeah. Now keep in mind, I have not listened to these. <laughs> Despite what you might think, I've not listened to these recordings in, God, it's got to be 10 years, like 10 years or more. But from what I remember, it, she's recording both sides of their conversation. And it's clear to most guys who've been in some kind of long-term relationship that like, I guess it doesn't need to just be guys. It's clear to anybody who's been in a relationship and knows that like this conversation is picking up where like two people have been gaslighting each other. (laughs) Yes. And the person recording is putting on some very good, uncharacteristically good behavior for the benefit of the recording so that the other party who doesn't know they're being recorded sounds much worse. Now I say like we don't all have experience with secretly recording people, but we do have experience with like, I mean, you know how someone sounds when they've been antagonized and gaslit or just been in a heated argument. That's how these tapes sound. Like they have been arguing, but she's, you know, very calm and composed. Well, when she hits the record button, she changes. Yeah like tone but he doesn't know he's being recorded and no he is on fire for the lord it's little pieces of conversations so one of them is a conversation that she recorded between the two of them where he's angry at her because he's like we were supposed to go to the hot tub together (laughs) he's really mad that they were that they didn't end up going to the hot tub together and yeah can't blame him you know all kinds of other little things get brought up but she says something about like, you know, you're, you're making me do this and you know, I'm supposed to do this. And he has just had enough and he yells, you're supposed to smile and blow me. Oh, <laughs> it's bad. Like when that gets out, it's hard to defend or justify that no yeah. matter the context. No, yeah, it is. It's like the worst things you could say to someone. Yeah. But like also recorded and shared with the world. But in other recordings, I think he said some racist things. He might have said some racist things. Or maybe maybe I'm getting him um, mixed up with the uh, owner of the L.A. Clippers. (laughs) Well, Did he say something about a pack of, and use the N-word? I don't recall that. I don't have that in front of me, but he does. That might be the owner of the L.A. Clippers. So, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. He also was recorded by his girlfriend. His girlfriend, who I think was black was like they must have had an agreement where she could go out with guys her age or like hook up or party or whatever. Uh-huh. And the owner, this old crusty white man, was mad because she had like posted videos to Instagram. And he went on a rant? Yeah, a racist rant. Oh, she, she recorded him ranting and raving. Yeah. You know, what is it about... There's a weird phenomenon. All these old, white, crusty, annoying men that nobody wants to be around, they somehow always get these young, attractive... Uh, women to hang around them. I wonder what the trend is there. That's so strange that I want. Is there some magic spell that old crusty white men have? I've heard no. old white guys have huge wieners. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's that. And my favorite, like my favorite little bit from the whole recorded exchange there was in the middle of this, they're like calling each other and not answering and leaving each other voicemails. And there's one where he leaves in the middle of this, he leaves her a voicemail where he just breathes heavy slash growls <laughs> into the phone. And it goes just like this. Call me back. 
At the end, he just switches to a normal voice and says, call me back, which makes me think I'm not convinced it wasn't a joke. He does have some bear-like qualities in general. Got very bear hands and the growl. It is weird. Well, okay, so you said it could be a joke. Let me tell you, Mel Gibson finally broke his silence about this. It took about nine months after the recordings came out. Mm -hmm. Finally, in 2011, he uh, spoke to Deadline Hollywood and he expressed gratitude first to long-term friends uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Jodie Foster, Mm -hmm. both of whom had uh, defended him publicly. But about the recordings, he said, quote, I've never treated anyone badly (laughs) or in any discriminatory way based on their gender, race, religion, or sexuality, period. I don't blame some people for thinking that, though, from the garbage they heard on those leaked tapes, which have been edited. It's one terribly awful moment in time said to one person in the span of one day and doesn't represent what I truly believe or how I've treated people my entire life. Well, as far as covering your butt goes, that's uh, that's about as good as it comes, I guess, but... yeah. I thought the same thing, actually. Like, I don't know the true story. He shouldn't have said those things. But given where he was on this day, and if he's trying to save his ass, it's about as good a response as you could come up with, I'd say. Almost everybody has experience with somebody driving them to the brink of utter fucking insanity. You don't fucking say. Hmm. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's where Mel had been pushed. In the same interview, he continued, uh, or he stated, I was allowed to end the case this is the court case, and still maintain my innocence. Called a West plea, and it's not something that prosecutors normally allow, but in my case, prosecutors and the judge has agreed it's the right thing to do. I could have continued to fight this for years, and it probably would have come out fine, but I ended it for my children and my family. Fair enough. So he did settle with uh, the, the girlfriend, Oksana Grigorieva, in 2011. Uh, she got $750,000, joint legal custody, and one of their houses in California. God damn. So, yeah. If you want to get rich, just marry Mel Gibson because you don't have to be with him that long yeah. and he'll divorce you. Mel, you don't have to get married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't have to get married. Well, he is like, uh, isn't he also like pretty hardcore Catholic? He probably felt like, yeah. I got to get married. I have some notes on Catholic, but let's save that. Okay. Give me another guess first. Yeah, we need to get cracking here. How about uh, The Patriot? Is it in the top 10? Yes. What number? Number five. Nope. It's uh, lower than I thought. It's way down at number nine. The Patriot came out in 2000, adjusted box office of $174 million, to 2000, American epic historical fiction war, a fi- sorry, war film written by Robert Radat, directed by Who Gives a Fuck, and starred Mel Gibson, Heath Ledger, some other people. What can you tell us about The Patriot, Brandon? <laughs> I remember it's not very historically accurate. No. I don't know. Like a it's weaker... It's a very Mel Gibson film. Like a weaker version of Braveheart. Yeah. They're kind of similar. So the story takes place mainly in rural Berkeley County in South Carolina and depicts Benjamin Martin, an American colonist normally loyal to Great Britain. Does he use a British accent in that movie? No. Damn. He gets swept into the Revolutionary War when his home is disrupted. Mel Gibson was cast as Benjamin Martin. The script was actually written with him in mind. He's a veteran of the French and Indian War in the movie. This is not in fucking real life. The hero of the fictional Fort Wilderness and widowed father of seven children. He does what he can to avoid fighting in the war, but when his son Thomas is killed, he takes it upon himself to join and fight. They set him off. He killed every redcoat within his parameter. With what? His hands? With his fucking bare hands and a muzzle-loading rifle. Mm. 
Oh wait, no. In the movie, he used to be like a, a fucking like awesome warrior from I think the French and Indian yeah. War. I said that he can f- like throw a tomahawk and shit. Ah, uh, just like the real Mel Gibson. He's silent but deadly. Yeah, you know something about that, don't you? So Mel Gibson's character in the movie is based on historical characters such as Thomas Sumter, Nathaniel Green, Andrew Pickens, Francis Marion. So, uh, you mentioned the historical inaccuracy. It stirred controversy, the film did, due to its highly fictionalized portrayal of British figures, including an historical, uh, sorry, an ahistorical scene, which is like Mm anti-accurate, in which a church is filled with colonists and is locked and burned. In his review of the film, critic Roger Ebert wrote, none of it has much to do with the historical reality of the Revolutionary War. (laughs) That's his review. I don't think people went to that movie for yeah, historical people, accuracy. People always get their panties in a bunch about historical inaccuracies. Well, even like you want to pick apart every like Western movie like that. I don't think any of these people really existed. No fucking yeah. shit. Yeah. Agreed, sir. Guess what? E.T. is not real either. Whoa, 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 whoa. I won't have any of that. We got kids listening to us, Brandon. You're just fucking telling them Santa Claus ain't real. If you're a kid, stop listening to us. Hey listeners, it's Brandon here, and I have a question for you. Do you love receiving electronic mail in your inbox? I want to let you know that the Tennis Podcast monthly email newsletter is here for you. Email is short for electronic mail. It's a free newsletter delivered directly to your inbox electronically on the first Friday of every month. Each e-newsletter comes with my very special, cute little blog, The Sidekick Corner. In fact, the newsletter is the only place to read my blog. Plus, e-newsletter subscribers will be the first to see our future episode topics, which means the episode that I'm rudely interrupting right now, our e-newsletter subscribers electronically knew the list topic weeks in advance. The e-newsletter comes with other stuff too, like behind the scenes updates, merch discounts, and more. The best part, you can sign up right now in literally 10 seconds, electronically. All we need is an email, electronic mail address. Go to tennishpod.com slash newsletter to sign up and begin receiving the Tennish Podcast electronic mail newsletter. That's tennishpod.com slash newsletter. See you in your inbox. Give me a guess. Are any of the Mad Max movies in the top 10? Mad Max 2. The highest grossing Mad Max is number 19, oh. Beyond Thunder. But it is worth noting Mad Max is where Mel Gibson was, uh, that put him on the map, those movies. Does his voice in Pocahontas count? I am so impressed with you, you fucking little Mel Gibson stan, because I did not think you'd remember or even know that he voiced John, <laughs> John Smith, Smith right? in Pocahontas. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so it counts. Number five. Yeah. Pocahontas, yeah. I would think it was one of the weaker Disney films of the 90s. Yes, sir. But not because of him. No, he's probably the best part. He was. Uh, well, that and the cartoon pug. That was the pet of the bad guy. Pocahontas, my favorite movie of all time. It was released in 95 and it has an adjusted domestic gross of $246 million. It's an American animated adventure, musical, romantic, historical drama film based on the life of the Native American woman Pocahontas. Did you know the real Pocahontas didn't have a fucking talking raccoon? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, but she probably did have the talking... Wasn't there another talking thing in there? Talking bug? Like a bird. 
<laughs> something. It also portrays the fictionalized account of her historical encounter with Englishman John Smith, which is voiced by our friend Mel Gibson. He is the only settler in Jamestown willing to befriend the natives due to his love for Pocahontas and acceptance of other cultures. So when he was cast as John Smith, he had a desire to, Mel Gibson had a desire to, quote, make something for my kids. Yeah. In a notable contrast to previous voice actors for Disney animated movies, he also provided the singing voice for his character. Did you know that? He sang all his John Smith's singing parts. No, it makes me want to go bust out the Disney Plus and check it out right mm -hmm. now. Me too. Pocahontas was being made at the same time as The Lion King. Mm -hmm. And most of the animators at Walt Disney decided to work on Pocahontas because they thought there was some sort of study or like internal study done that said Pocahontas was going to be the big hit. Lion King was going to be more of a experimental film that may or may not succeed. And to that I say, who the fuck thought Pocahontas was going to be this huge, I don't know. That movie sucks. <laughs> that movie sucks. I'm sorry. What, Pocahontas? Yeah. Oh, I like the artwork and stuff in it. Okay. The backgrounds and the animation. You're supposed to agree with me. Pocahontas received mixed reviews. Who praised its animation? <laughs> right there. Suck my animation. Uh, they praised the score, the themes, but criticized its story with its lack of focus or tone. The historical inaccuracies and racial overtones also had a lot of controversy. So about the history... In June 92, the filmmakers embarked on a research trip to the Jamestown settlement where they met Shirley Little Dove Costello McGowan and Debbie White Dove Costello, both descendants of the Powhatan Indians, which is uh, the tribe Pocahontas belonged to. Following the research trip, Little Dove, one of the women they met, served as a consultant traveling to Disney Studio three times, and they paid her $500 in daily consulting fees. Ultimately, when it came to light that historical accuracy was not being pursued to the extent she had hoped, she voiced her feelings of shame and said she regrets her name being a part of the movie. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah. That's uh, too bad for her. It's too bad for her. She did get 500 bucks a day, which ain't bad. Although, by Disney standards, it's kind of pennies. The film did get a direct-to-video sequel, but Mel Gibson did not come back to voice John Smith. Instead... Do you know who voiced John Smith in the sequel? Uh, no. His brother, Mel Gibson's brother, Donald Gibson, voiced John Smith in the direct-to-video sequel. Oh, kind of like uh, Tom Hanks' brother, Jim Hanks, sometimes does voice work or, like, appearance stuff. Same thing. Yeah, it's, it said uh, Donald Gibson, his brother, has also made cameos in a bunch of his movies. Which is cool. Like, I wish I had a famous brother that I don't have to be the famous one, but I can still reap the benefits of, like, showing up in movies when I want to. I'm sure Clint Howard is pretty pleased with how his career has gone uh, by being connected to his brother, Ron. Yeah. Has he done anything notable? Clint Howard? Yeah. yeah. He's been in every single movie that Ron Howard's made. Plus, like, oh, and then, like, he's in other stuff because he's gotten fame and recognition off of those cameos. How's the ass? It's not great. Give me another guess. I'm going to guess that the movie Conspiracy Theory is number seven. Interesting. It's number 15. Oh, nuts. Off by a little. I don't know a thing about that movie. I don't know if I'd ever even heard of it before today. I liked it because I like conspiracy theories and Mel Gibson. I was like, I got to check Mel this Gibson, out. Yeah. Okay, then how about Chicken Run? Another impressive feat. I didn't think you'd get that. 
It's number 10. I saw Chicken Run at the theater. Me too. But wait a minute. You were 18 when that came <laughs> What's going on? Why did you see that in the theater? Mel Gibson was doing the voice of a chicken. <laughs> I was there. A rooster, actually. You fucking idiot. Yeah. Chicken Run is number 10. Yeah. I think, not by choice, but I think I have seen Chicken Run more than any other movie on this list because of my kids. It came out in 2000, adjusted box office of $164 million. It's a British-American stop-motion animated <laughs> comedy film. You were 18 years old. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I can't believe you went. Did you see it by yourself or with friends? Yeah, I went with friends. Okay, well, that makes it a little bit. Stop motion is impressive, no matter the content. I always love stop motion. Yeah, it was good. It's a good movie. It's funny. Yeah, and it's made by the guy that did Wallace and Gromit, mm -hmm. which I loved as a kid. The plot centers on a band of chickens who see a rooster named Rocky as their only hope to escape the farm when their owners prepare to turn them into chicken pies. It's a very, um, like, it seems very inspired by Nazi concentration camps when you watch it back. Oh, yeah, it is. There's some kind of dark bummer mm -hmm. imagery. Mel Gibson plays our hero Rocky Rhodes, a laid-back American circus rooster who crash lands <laughs> on the farm and teaches the chickens to fly at Ginger's request. Ginger's the main chicken. So the movie, it's actually the most critically acclaimed on the entire list today. It has a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the general consensus reads, Chicken Run has all the charm of Nick Parks, Wallace and Gromit, and something for everybody. The voice acting is fabulous. The slapstick is brilliant. And the action sequences are spectacular. Just realized uh, my kids would really like Chicken Run. Your kids must have good taste. I had really forgotten about Chicken Run. It's on Netflix, I think. And yeah, everybody fucking shout out to Chicken Run. <laughs> shout out to Chicken Run. And you'll be happy to know there's a sequel coming to Netflix. But I doubt Mel Gibson's in it. No, I don't think so. Chicken Run's not bad. I take it over Pocahontas 10 times out of 10. Let's take a break with some Mel Gibson hashtag fun facts. You mentioned the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. Uh, Mel Gibson is a devout Catholic. And when asked about the Catholic doctrine, he replied, There is no salvation for those outside the church. I believe it. And he even said after that, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he said that his wife at the time is a saint. She's great. She's a better person than me. And I don't think it's fair that she won't get to go to heaven because she's not a Catholic. Oh, wow. <laughs> but he believes that. Well, I guess I'll be in hell with all my friends having fun. Yeah, you and me both, buddy. Speaking of Catholic, do you want to guess today's bonus entry on the list? Oh, well, uh, that would, I think one of the highest grossing films he was involved with, maybe the highest grossing film he was involved with, was when he, I don't know if he wrote it, but I know he directed. Co-wrote it. Co-wrote The Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. If, uh, if we were to include it, because he, he was not a star, he directed and co-wrote it, it would be number one. It has an adjusted inflation of $858 million. It's one of the highest grossing films of all time. Number one on this list, which we haven't got to yet, $336 million. Passion of the Christ more than doubles that. It came out in 2004. Have you seen it? I also saw it at the theater when I was in college. Yeah. I saw it in theater. I was, I was 14 going on 15. Saw it with my family. Uh, I was a church-going boy. It was one of those things where like all the pastors and preachers in America were telling their congregation to go see this movie together as a family. And we did. And whew, 
so it's something else by that time i didn't care anything about like being moved by like the spirit but i you know it was a story that i was very familiar with yeah most people are and i am interested in like I, did, I knew it probably wouldn't be like historically accurate or whatever but it would be a very like realistic yeah. interpretation of the story and i'll say like having seen the movie now i really enjoy the beginning part where he's in the garden the cinematography and the sound and all the interactions with satan or whoever the is meant to be are really cool and trippy and weird and i think those are awesome and then for pretty much the rest of the movie if you are into like gore horror movies you probably love it i don't love gory movies but i was just into it from like holy shit i cannot believe how real this looks this dude's skin just getting ripped off i haven't seen it since since 2004 I want to now, though. I want to watch it again just because... Have you seen it like since it first came out or you just remember it well? I saw it once in the theater and I maybe saw it once on DVD after that. So I think I've seen it twice. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting notes about it. So it's a 2004 biblical drama film produced, co-written and directed by Melly Gibson. It stars Jim Caviezel as Jesus of Nazareth. Film primarily covers the final 12 hours before Jesus Christ's death. Mel Gibson's role in the actual on-camera part of the movie is he has the hand that puts the nail in Jesus's hand, symbolic yeah. of the fact that he holds himself accountable first and foremost for Christ's death. Gibson's feet also appear in sandals when Mary Magdalene reaches out for Jesus. There's no reason to do that other than just have a little fun Easter egg, right? Of putting yeah. him in the movie. Yeah. The dialogue is entirely in Hebrew, Latin, and reconstructed Aramaic. Although Gibson was initially against it, the film is subtitled. And I read, he did not want the film to be subtitled. He didn't want anybody to be able to understand the language. He wanted it to be, you knew what was going on based on context and body language. But he was eventually talked into subtitles. Which I think is the right choice, subtitles. I think the subtitles are the right choice for most people. But I do, like, if I was him and I had control over it, I would say, like, on the DVD version... You've got to have a, a version with no subtitles for the artists like me. It received a bunch of uh, award nominations, Academy Awards in 2005, Best Makeup, Best Cinematography, Best Original Score. Don't think it won any of them. So listen to this. It had, the movie had more pre-ticket sales than any other film in history until Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens in 2015. Yeah, fucking suck it, Jesus. <laughs> The only Jesus I need is the dark Darth <laughs> Vader, dark who's not Lord even of the in the Sith movie. Vader. Yeah. Before the film's release, Gibson actively reached out to evangelical leaders seeking their support. In June 2003, he screened the film for 800 pastors. You know, it is, um, I don't know, it's a weird movie because it's so incredibly violent. Like, one of the most graphic, gory, violent movies of all time. I love the idea of all these, like, conservative old biddies going to the theater and then just being like, holy shit! Yeah, but most of them endorsed it. <sighs> yeah. Churches love to have just fucking something to do. I mean, just anything <laughs> to do. And this was like, okay. let's all load up in buses. And we're going to buy out the movie theater and show them all the, the Lord's number one. And like, okay, geez, you don't have to buy out the theater. Just buy enough tickets for you guys and go enjoy it. 
Like, we're buying out the theater for God. But a lot of churches were, uh, like, bringing the kids to it and stuff, which, I don't know. I mean, I know what they'd say. They'd say, well, it's good for kids to know how bad it really was, right? How much Jesus suffered for them. But it's just a bit much for I'd me. I'd say, yeah, it's way. <laughs> there is a part where the guy who is uh, whipping Jesus, he, he whips them, and the, the end of the whip has the, like, little shards of, like, bone or glass or, like, little sharp things and you can see it stick and hang in his skin and the guy tugs to pull it out and it doesn't come right away so then he yanks it and like you see like yellow fat mixed in with the blood and the gore that's coming from his back it is you're making me hungry extremely realistic looking yeah well we know how much jesus loves consumerism so he, I'm sure he'd be happy to know that on the first day that this movie came out on home video, it sold over 4 million copies in the first day. It's uh, named by Entertainment Weekly as the most controversial film of all time. So how did uh, critics react to it? Slate Magazine, one of their editors, wrote, it's a two-hour and six-minute snuff movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard to argue in some ways. Someone else from New York Daily News felt it was the most anti-Semitic movie made since the German propaganda films of World War II. I don't know about that. I'm sure there's a lot worse. This next thing I'm going to read sounds like a PR thing to me. It says, because of their experiences during film production, many of the cast and filming crew converted to Catholicism after the movie. Among those who converted were Luca Leonolo, a self-proclaimed angry atheist, who played Judas in the movie, and one Muslim actor who played one of the torturing guards. You really think people on the set of this movie converted? Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Last but not least, there's a fucking sequel coming out. Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel are returning for a sequel. Which, I guess, is when he rises from the dead. I don't know what the sequel is, but... Maybe it will be like a Mel Gibson action-esque movie where Jesus fucking comes back. There are, there is a series of stories about his appearances, uh, first to the 12 disciples and then to, I think, larger crowds and maybe like some other miracles and stuff before he ascends to heaven. So maybe that's what they're trying to get going. Yeah, but there's no fucking blood and guts in that. Where's the fun in that? No, but they could also do like a flash forward to the when return Jesus comes of Christ. Back and right. kills all the sinners with his guns and knives. When does all the fucking head lopping off <laughs> while he's riding a mighty steed across the plains of war. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I want. I would watch it. I would legit watch it. Whether it's like Passion of the Christ 2 or some other group doing a movie, like that sounds like a fun ass movie. Hollywood needs to figure out like... People are probably too scared to do a movie like that. Do some crazy shit. Let Mel make Passion of the Christ 2, Jesus with a gun. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. So there's a movie you haven't mentioned yet. You said it was the first Mel Gibson movie you saw. Mm-hmm. What was that movie? Do you remember? Uh, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> do I remember? <laughs> Let's, uh, for the sake of time, cover all of Lethal Weapon at once. There's four movies. Mm-hmm. Do you have guesses on which of the four, if any, made it to the top 10? I'm going to guess that either Lethal Weapon 2 or 3 are the highest adjusted movies. They are. 2, 3, and 4 are all in the top 10. Uh-huh. The highest grossing is 2 and 3. 
Two is the highest. I'm just going to cover these as a group. So Lethal Weapon 4 is number 7. Uh, 212 million. Came out in 98. Lethal Weapon 3 came out in 92. It is number 4 on the list with 273 million. And lastly, Lethal Weapon 2 is number 2. Came out in 1989. Has 315 adjusted box office. So Lethal Weapon 3 is number 1? No. It goes 2 at 2, 3 at 4, and 4 at 7. Got that? Got it. You haven't, number one, you still haven't guessed. So uh, why don't you give us an overview of the Lethal Weapon series, Brandon? So, sorry, real quick. The the only Lethal Weapon that did not make the top 10 is the original, which is number 11. Which is the best one. God, is there anybody who haven't seen, well, you haven't seen any of the Lethal Weapon movies, have you? I withhold comment. God, it is like talking to a fucking Martian sometimes. Anyway, in the Lethal Weapon movies, Danny Glover plays Roger Murtaugh, who is turning 50 years old. He's feeling old. He's about to, he's thinking about retiring from the police force. And he gets a new partner, and it's this young, crazy, possibly suicidal cop named Martin Riggs. Don't forget Hunk. And Hunk. And then they start fucking busting heads together. They don't have any regard for proper police procedure. Timely then. They constantly leave a stream of blood, dead bad guys, and collateral damage in their wake. And they have a lot of fun doing it. Make a lot of friends along the way Mm -hmm. and fight Gary Busey in the front yard. Which one is that? That's where the first one ends with Mel Gibson and Gary Busey doing karate moves in the front yard of a house in the rain while all these cops watch. Maybe I will have to watch it. He tells the cops to stand down. (laughs) He's mine. Couple of questions. One, give us your personal ranking of Lethal Weapon movies. It actually goes in the order of release. I think the first one is the best one. I really like the second one uh, because of the bad guys are fun. They have fun accents. They're from South Africa. The whole idea of them Uh, using diplomatic immunity to cover their crimes is preposterous and i love it it has boobs in it the first one actually oh baby the first one has tits within the first like few minutes this one has a more rewarding Hmm. set a little bit later in the movie both of them feature mel gibson's bare ass both one and two but Lethal Weapon 2 has the best, like, revenge. Mel Gibson gets pissed off and takes revenge on every one sequence. <laughs> now, do you see his naked ass while he's taking revenge? No, but just before. I'm there. Lethal Weapon 3 is where they introduce... Oh, that's where he meets his lady friend. Yeah, that one's okay. And then Lethal Weapon 4 is the worst one because it was less than needed. And it had too much, like, karate stuff in it. You might have answered my question then. I was going to ask if you'd be into a Lethal Weapon 5 or if it's way past. I mean, cool it's past. No, it's pa- I mean, it would be ridiculous to see. Like, if you take out, th- they couldn't be cops. Like, they could maybe do something together, but it can't be action. And they can't be acting in a police officer capacity. Well, Mel Gibson could. No, he's too old. No, I refuse. I'm, I'm not into that. Unlike my ridiculous to be within some guardrails. Within a certain age limit, you like your ridiculousness. Yeah, like uh, they're making another Indiana Jones movie. That I'm not cool with. (laughs) I mean, are you cool with that? Isn't it like absurd? Okay. I'm fine with the first three. 
and I don't need any more. Well, I'm not going to go in depth on each movie because you covered it, but I'm going to give a few quick fun facts before we move on. In Lethal Weapon 3, the film's first scene, Riggs, which is Mel Gibson, accidentally sets off a bomb that destroys the ICSI building. Mm -hmm. It's actually a real-life city hall building in Orlando, Florida. Warner Brothers used the destruction of the building in the film for $500,000. They were making way for a new building, so they just let them destroy the building. That's kind of fun. The mayor at the time of Orlando, Florida, Bill Frederick, he played the policeman who sarcastically claps and said bravo after the explosion. That was the real-life Orlando mayor. He was well chuffed that day, very proud of himself. (laughs) So listen to this. The only reason I included this note is because it was on Wikipedia and it's so absurd. It says, for promotion of the film, theater lobbies featured a 3D cutout of the film poster of Riggs and Murtaugh posing with their guns and Leo Getz peeking from the background. Yep. On the display, there was a motor which helped Leo's head bob up and down from behind them. <laughs> That's it. That's Lethal Weapon. That's all there is to say about it. Yeah, there's not, not much can be said. It's something that needs to be experienced. And they're all on, um, I think they're all on HBO Max right now. If they're not, you should buy them and own them. Mel Gibson's ass. That's all I need. I'm going to watch it tonight. All four in a row. And then when I'm done, I'm going to watch them again in reverse. There's two, wait, there's only one spot left in the top 10. No, there's two no, spots two. left. Okay, Passion so the I, price was a bonus. So I have two guesses left on my scratch pad here, and I think they might align with number one and number three. I bet I know what one of them is, and I'll, if it is what I think it is, then it's not in the top 10. Oh. oh, I'm guessing number three is Signs. No, Signs is number one. Oh, nuts. Okay. Signs is a controversial movie. Signs must have had a huge opening. Huge opening. (laughs) Must have had a huge opening and then like after a couple weeks fell off huge. Why do you say that? I feel like people went in with like with very specific expectations, which you obviously should not do, especially considering that his... The, like his first big hit that M. Night Shyamalan's first big hit was like a movie with a giant twist. Sixth Sense. Yeah. I mean, that would be my guess, but obviously it was a long time ago and I don't know. It came out in 2002, 336 million adjusted gross box office in the US. It's a 2002 American science fiction mystery thriller film written directed by M. Night Shyamalan. This is uh, his first follow-up to his debut... Uh, think it was his debut is at least the first one that did big which was Sixth Sense. so yeah like brandon said a lot of high expectations for this its story focuses on a former priest named graham hess played by mel gibson who discovers a series of crop circles in his cornfield on his farm he slowly slowly discovers that the phenomenon is a result of extraterrestrial life it also stars joaquin phoenix abigail breslin in her film debut and rory colkin which believe it or not until i read this Till I read his name, Rory Culkin, today doing these notes, I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't occur to me, but that's Macaulay Culkin's brother, who was also in Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of cute. He plays the older kid of Their Morgan's. other brother, uh, Kieran Culkin, is hot acting shit too. What's he done? He was in season two of uh, Fargo. Um, he didn't have a huge part in it, uh, but he was really, really good in it. I think he was only in two episodes, but. He was 
good in that. And then he's also in that show, um, Succession, that's supposed to be really great. Yeah. Bunch of Culkins running around, taking over the, taking yeah. over Hollywood. Graham Hess, which is Mel Gibson's character, he was originally written to be an older character. Paul Newman was first offered the role, and then Clint Eastwood, which I kind of want to see a Clint Eastwood sign. So. Honestly, Paul Newman would have been even better. Paul Newman would have been better than either of them. Well, agree to disagree. Uh, so after those two turn it down, Mel Gibson wanted, or sorry, M. Night Shyamalan wanted Mel Gibson because he's, quote, the guy you believe would protect his family at all costs. Yes, he would. He would f- f- fucking drag your ass to the hot tub and make you smile. <laughs> the next few notes are just a bunch of random facts about the movie in no order. First up, the stories of the children's birth. Uh, do you remember that in the movie? Mel Gibson's character is telling the story to the kids of how they were born to try no. to distract them from the aliens. Anyway, it's near the end. Those are based on true stories of M. Night Shyamalan's kids. Joaquin Phoenix's character, if you recall, he, uh, in the movie, he's Mel Gibson's brother and he plays a former, I think, minor league baseball star. Yeah. Who struck out at a, in a critical time in his career. He was originally to be played by Mark Ruffalo, who many of us know now as the Incredible Hulk. He had to pull out of the film. I don't know why that's so funny. Many of us know now as the Incredible Hulk. He had to pull out of the film due to a brain tumor. Holy shit. Which was later found to be benign. Well, that's good. I didn't know he had a fucking brain tumor. Yeah. Well, if you stop thinking about yourself or Mel Gibson for five seconds, maybe you could think about Mark Ruffalo and his brain tumor and the other horrors of the world all around you. He called it Lil Hulk. (laughs) He wasn't even the fucking Hulk yet, you asshole. (laughs) Uh, okay, the crop circles in the movie are real. They were made. Most movies use CGI for that, but M. Night Shyamalan doesn't like CGI, which, as I read that now, is ironic, given that they use CGI in, <laughs> for the aliens later. Roger Ebert gave the film four stars, writing, quote, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs is the work of a born filmmaker, able to summon apprehension out of thin air. When it's over, we think of how little, not how little has been decided, but how much has been experienced. So here's my take on the movie. I love the movie. And I remember reading an interview with M. Night Shyamalan once where he said, it's not a movie about aliens. It's a movie about how a family deals with aliens. Right. You know, I'll admit the ending is not the best. Pretty bad in some ways, actually. Everything up until the ending, I think, is perfect. But you seem like you don't like it as much. I only saw it once. What the fuck, Brandon? And no, I don't. Huh? Watch it again. Uh, probably won't, but I didn't, no, I didn't dislike it. I just remember that, like, a lot of people seemed disappointed or frustrated in it. I wasn't, I just, I thought it was cool. I think the ending kind of peters out, which, I guess, spoiler alert real quick, but, um, what happens is the, you know, the Earth is being invaded by aliens, the world basically shuts down during this alien invasion, and then it comes down to, uh, they wake up the next day and the humans defeated the aliens kind of without, you know, the, it's just said without seeing it. And then there's, you know, one badly CGI'd alien left over that has a standoff with Mel Gibson's family. So I'll admit, again, the ending is not great. He does like have a, he like comes in and makes angry faces at him. And, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that notwithstanding, it's a good movie. Before you give your final guess, let me go through Mel Gibson's history of drinking problems. Okay. <laughs> Mel Gibson has stated himself that he began drinking at the age of 13. Hell yeah. Which you shouldn't do. 
He was banned from driving in Ontario, Canada for three months in 1984 after rear-ending a car in Toronto while under the influence. In response, he retreated to his Australian farm for over a year to recover, but has continued to struggle with drinking. But despite his uh, problem with alcoholism, he had gained a reputation in Hollywood for professionalism, such that frequent collaborator Richard Donner was shocked when Gibson confided that he had been drinking five pints of beer for breakfast every day. That's awesome. Is it awesome? (laughs) Now, what did Richard Donner direct? Oh, Richard Donner directed the Weapon movies. Okay, yeah. So Mel Gibson was drinking five beers at breakfast every day before filming, and the director had no idea until Mel Gibson told him. He's doing a good job. He's holding his shit together. So far, this is, there's no, so far, I just, I don't hear, see an alcohol problem. Well, five beers at breakfast is an indicator that he's drinking throughout the day. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay, fine. I was being silly. Well, here's where it gets bad. In July 2006, Gibson was uh, arrested by sheriff's deputy in Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, uh, in Los Angeles, for driving under the influence while speeding his vehicle with an open container of alcohol. Hell yeah. Which is illegal in California. At a roadie. I just picture him like thinking, uh, who's, who's going to give a fuck? I'm Mel Gibson. So when he was arrested, this is all recorded because of the officer's like camera and shit. Gibson uh, told the officer, my life is over. I'm fucked. Robin's going to leave me, which is his wife at the time. Well, that is what happened. <laughs> that is what happened, yeah. But maybe it's because of the next part. According to the arrest report, Gibson exploded into an angry tirade when the arresting officer would not allow him to drive home. Gibson climaxed with, which, bad phrasing, Wikipedia. Gibson climaxed with the words, quote, this is Mel Gibson, not Nicomel. Fucking Jews. The Jews are responsible for all the wars in the world. Are you a Jew? Mel asked, when in fact, Mel Gibson is Jewish. Mel Gibson's not Jewish. Oh, I'm sorry, that... The officer was Jewish, is what I meant. What do, you have to say, what, what do you have to say about your precious Mel Gibson now? I mean, I have some, like, theories about where some of his pent-up hostility might have come from, but it would probably just sound like I was making an excuse for him, which I'm not. He did offer, like, some public apologies and shit, but this uh, tirade and led to his divorce from his first wife. It also led to him being blacklisted in Hollywood for a decade. Until Robert Downey Jr. and some others advocated for his forgiveness. Finally, in 2016, Mel Gibson's film Hacksaw Ridge, which I forgot he did, it received an Academy Award nominations. Actors and agencies were becoming eager to work with him again. So yeah, he, because of this tirade, it kind of put him on the shit list for a while. Rightfully so. Let's let bygones be bygones. <laughs> okay, sure. It's all water under the bridge, Mel. Yep. Okay, well, that's all for fun facts. Um, God damn, those were fucking fun facts. Yeah. I don't like to skimp on the fun facts. Your final guess, is it Braveheart? Yes. It's not in the top ten. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Is Before it... you give your guess, I want to read some Twitter responses that might help you. I asked on Twitter, at the TheNickAmel, I said, what's the best Mel Gibson film and the worst? Okay. I'm going to read a few. Let me tell you something, bitch, on Twitter said the best is Braveheart, which Brandon was about to incorrectly guess, and the worst is Lethal Weapon 4. Jacob Marley is dead said, how on earth has no one in this thread mentioned The Road Warrior, a Mad Max movie? We got Brandon with Lethal Weapon. Uh, We got 
historic hole saying the answer to both, best and worst, is obviously Lethal Weapon 4. Ye Old Crime Podcast says the best is Chicken Run and the worst is everything else. Kevin Hamoki says the best is The Patriot and the worst is What Women Want. Hint, hint. Uh, Grimm says the best is Apocalypto, which Mel Gibson directed. He was not in it. And the worst is Passion of the Christ. We got a bunch for the Patriot here. And someone said the worst is the one with the bear puppet thing, which is actually a beaver. The beaver. beaver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, was so, it? Yeah. Was it What Women Want? What Women Want is number three in the top ten. You know what they want. Fucking Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson's dick. <laughs> Fucking Mel Gibson's dick. <laughs> That's why he was on the poster. Yeah, well, hopefully they smiled when they blew him. <laughs> blow me. Have you seen What Women Want? I think I saw it when it first came out, but I have not yeah. seen it since. I saw it when I was a teenager. Came out in 2000. Has 281 million. The synopsis is a cocky... Chauvinistic advertising exec magically acquires the ability to hear what women are thinking. Mm -hmm. For his portrayal of Nick Marshall, Mel Gibson was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. <laughs> uh, really? If I remember right, like he is funny in it. He is a very is like, funny. funny actor. But yeah, the premise and the rest of it is fucking stupid shit. So I have a couple of fun facts about the movie. Uh, the morning Nick returns to work, uh, which is Mel Gibson's character, after gaining his power, and he bumps into the file girl in the lobby, Aaron. Mm -hmm. James Cameron, the actual real James Cameron, can be seen in a waiting chair next to them reading a paper. <laughs> he, he didn't even know he was in a movie. <laughs> At that time, he was thinking, now what's the next shitty movie I can make with blue alien people that have sex with humans? And oh, he was thinking steals... about going to the fucking center of the earth. <laughs> no. He's thinking about fucking Avatar sex, even then, 2000. Do you know, it's been fucking, what, 12 years and the fucking Avatar 2 has still not come out yet? Well, do you want it to? No, but I remember, there's been four, they signed up for three sequels, four movies. He should and the second up. one hasn't even come out yet. He should shut up and make another Terminator movie. Yes. Now, this is amazing. The next note. The film was originally titled Head Games. And when it was originally pitched to studios, they went to Touchstone Pictures first with the star of Tim Allen. Tim Allen was set to star in the original incarnation of What Women Want. That's not like wildly different than having Mel Gibson in the... Mel Gibson is more like... Ladies, ma'am, a little bit. Yeah, he's more, he's more charming and like sexy and like probably more just naturally funny anyway. But I mean doesn't like drastically change the movie if that fucking idiot is in it. There's a part I remember where, because Mel Gibson can hear what women are thinking in his head. They don't know yep. this though. And so he's fucking, her. I think it might be Marissa Tomei even. He's fucking her and it's a sex scene and it's, you know, semi-graphic for PG-13. And he's like adjusting his sex moves on the go because he knows what she's thinking. And to that I say, I don't want to think about Tim Allen in a sex scene fucking adjusting his thrust this way and that because of what the woman is thinking. <laughs> trying to think of the tool man trying to hit that ass right. <laughs> hit that ass right. Ugh. Going, oh, oh, oh. See? That's why it's weird to think of Tim out. Uh, two more notes. When Mel Gibson in the movie waxes his legs in the bathroom and that song's playing in the background, I'm a bitch, I'm mm -hmm. a mother. 
He actually did wax his legs in real life, and it did not hurt him like he thought. He kept taunting all the women on set, saying, come on, this doesn't hurt at all. I mean, wasn't he also really fucking drunk? (laughs) Most likely. (laughs) And last but not least, your favorite movie in 2019, a loose remake called What Men Want, came out. Oh, what are the... (sighs) That's it. That's it. (laughs) Like, uh, 24 hours a day, she just kept going like, fuck sex, fuck sex, fuck sex, fuck sex. And a little bit of Mel Gibson sprinkled in there, too, because men are thinking about Mel Gibson. Boobs, 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 She's finally like, you're driving me fucking insane. You know, your boobs soliloquy there sounded a little bit like fucking bass in a, like an instrumental. All right, we did it. Let me go back through the top 10. In fact, I'm going to start at number 20. We'll go through some of the other movies that didn't make the list. 20 is Tequila Sunrise. Mm-hmm. 19, Mad Max Beyond Thunder. 18, Forever Young. 17, Daddy's Home 2, where he plays, uh, <laughs> who does he play? Uh, Mark Wahlberg's dad. He plays in that movie. 16 is We Were Soldiers, which is a really good movie. 15 is Conspiracy Theory. 14, Payback. 13, Braveheart. 12, Bird on a Wire. 11, Lethal Weapon 1. All right, the top 10. Chicken Run. The Patriot at 9. 8 is Maverick. 7, Lethal Weapon 4. 6, Ransom. 5, Pocahontas. 4, Lethal Weapon 3. 3, What Women Want, almost starring Tim Allen. 2, Lethal Weapon 2. Number 1, Signs, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. We did it, and we did it for Mel Gibson. We did it for you, buddy. Welcome back Mm -hmm. to Hollywood. Stop talking to that weird fucking beaver puppet and instead come pat Brandon on the back, maybe on his dick, for guessing your top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. Hooray. Hooray. I haven't seen that last movie he did where he plays uh, like Angry Santa. Angry Santa? What are you talking about? A movie called Fat Man where he plays Santa and he's fighting off like an assassin or something. The first thing I see in Google search results is, Fat Man is an awful Christmas movie. Oh, (laughs) who said that? Mel Gibson. NBC News. Uh, It's a dark comedy film. It actually does look kind of funny. Hmm. Yeah, usually if your local news says it's not good, it means it's probably, probably worth checking out. Yeah. Came out during COVID, so it did not do well at box office, but not much did. Okay, well... Anything else that I didn't cover about Mel Gibson that you want to make sure the world hears? You mentioned uh, the alcoholism and screaming at his wife. Yep. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. That's everything. (laughs) Great. Well, then let's close out with some screaming from our listeners on Apple Podcasts. First one comes from JP Watson 86, who says, (laughs) this is laden with exclamation points, so bear with me. Just started listening and now a devout subscriber! They are so entertaining and witty and the subject matter varies, so I'm always learning something! Thank you for putting these together! (laughs) Putting together these little programs. (laughs) These programs. You're welcome. You're welcome, J.P. Watson, and thank you for the review. The next one comes from Charlie Rose 1 on Apple Podcasts. Quote, They had me laughing right from the start. They're 100% authentic the entire time, which is a relief. You can hear the natural chemistry, and it makes the episodes really enjoyable. Smiley face emoji. 
Brandon, when should we tell her that we're not 100% authentic? We're at best 15% authentic. Phony as fuck, bro. (sighs) This might be hard to hear, but I'm actually British. And Brandon is a wealthy entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. Keep it pretty real. Well, we authentically want to thank you for your reviews. And if you want me to read your review on a future episode, go write us a review and I'll read it. Whew. Brandon, we'll be back with your list next week for episode 134. If you want that episode early, before everyone else, and ad-free, just go to patreon.com slash tennis pod to sign up. It starts at just $2 a month. But you know what's not $2 a month? Mel Gibson's fucking contributions to film. We want to thank Mel Gibson for his cinematic feats. We want to thank him for maybe overcoming alcoholism. Don't know where that is today. (laughs) For having it. I mean, he didn't kill anybody, so we're good, I guess. And yeah, I'm done. I'm tapped out. We love you, Mel. We love you, Mel, at times. And we love you, listeners. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks. Thanks.